Well, I had a uh, a neat uh, opportunity last night, kind of an exciting opportunity, one made me a little bit proud. I was asked to be the guest speaker at a Texas A&M, Texas Aggie muster. Now, that probably doesn't mean a whole lot to most of you in the room this morning, but an Aggie muster happens April 21st each year, or the day's give or take a few right around that day. And Aggie muster is when Aggies get together and we share a meal. We remember our days of old at Texas A&M. But maybe the most important thing we do is we remember and we honor the lives of Aggies who've passed away since we last mustered. That kind of goes without saying the largest muster takes place at the, at the Texas A&M campus. There, there will be thousands and thousands of people that will attend that on campus But along with that main one that takes place at campus, there are 300, this particular year, there are 315 musters worldwide. The Richmond area Aggies being one of those musters. You can see that Aggies are very devoted to one another. And we learn that from the very beginning. The day you walk on campus at Texas A&M, you go to a class to learn how to be an Aggie because you you don't just walk on and be an Aggie. You've got to learn that. And one of the things you learn is, you know what? Aggies acknowledge each other. We, we speak to each other. And the way you do that is you say, howdy. Now, on a campus of 50,000 students, walking from one class to the next, you're going to hear and say, howdy, several hundred times every five minutes. It's a busy proposition to be an Aggie. But, boy, I tell you what, I, I think when you look at, at the caliber or the, or the, the camaraderie that is felt at Texas A&M, you see a very unique, you see a, a very special devotion that we have to one another. Now, what I describe as unique or as special when I refer to a, a university, that is to be the bare minimum, the standard fare, the, the, the base requirement for the church. It might be unique and special for a campus and for a university. It's not to be unique and special in here. It's expected. It is the bare minimum. What do you think would be a good indicator that somebody's a Christian? You you look at their lives and you would look at this and say one out. Now, surely they are a, a follower of Christ. Just look at them. Well, we might say, well, I should be their, their church attendance. Or, or maybe they, they volunteer. They're very active in church. Or maybe they talk about it all the time. Well, these, these, might, these might be indicators that somebody's a follower of Christ. But you know, Jesus actually specifically addressed this question. He said very specifically, this is the indicator The one thing by which you can look at somebody and say, that is a believer. That is a follower of Christ. As a matter of fact, Jesus gives permission to the entire world, unbelievers, to look at your life and see if that indicator is there. Jesus described that indicator this way in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. He said, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you've watched me, you've seen me. We've walked together now for three years. As you have watched me love you, 
the things you've seen me do to show that love in the very same way, just like that. That's how you are to love one another. By this, by this relationship that you and I share, by this love that we express, not with our family in the church, not with our best friends in the church, but with everybody in the church. By this love, everybody's going to know, hey, that's a follower of Christ. Last week, we began a series. We're entitling it, What We Want Them to See When They Come Here. And we said last week, we, we want them to see God's glory. We want them to experience God's presence when they enter this place. And you might remember we said, just as important as them experiencing God's presence is them seeing you and me respond to it. It's not just saying, oh, I was in the presence of God today, but it's seeing believers respond to that presence. God allows us to enjoy and experience His presence so that we might enjoy and experience His leadership in our lives. We also said last week that uh, the series is going to end on May 18th when we say we want them to see Jesus. What do we want them to see? Isn't that the direct question that Jesus is answering in this verse? By this, all people will what? They'll see. What would Jesus say to us today? Jesus, what do you want people to see when they come into our church? He'd say, I want them to see the love you have for one another. I am uh, preaching a sermon today. I don't do this very often. I'm preaching a sermon today. I've actually preached in this church. You recognize it, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> it actually was quite a while back. It was in the summer of 2004. And the title of the sermon then was called One Anothering. And we're going to get to that in a moment. And we're going to define what that loving one another is. But as I've been praying and thinking about, man, what are people going to see when they come into this church? I was reminded of this passage. I was reminded of that sermon and felt like that would be an appropriate review for us this morning. You know, Jesus is specifically answering that question. He's saying, I want people to see your love for one another. You know, those three words right there literally sum up the whole Bible, at least the Bible as it relates to how you and I relate how you and I treat each other as believers. I mean, the whole Bible in that respect can be summed up in three words. Love one another. Now, we still need the rest of the Bible. It's the rest of the Bible that shows us what that love looks like, what that love does, how that love acts. It's the rest of the Bible that tells us where we get the power to love like this because it's not in us. It's not in us to love each other like this. There are several reasons we have a, a hard time loving one another. And they're not pretty reasons. Let's think about these for a second. Number one, we have a hard time loving each other because we're selfish. We're selfish. We don't like to hear that. You won't say anything because I'm saying it to a big group. But if I walked up to you and said, you know, you're selfish. You probably would dislike that. 
Well, if you would, just kind of remove everybody around you and hear me and see me looking at you saying, you're selfish. And we are. Now, some are more and some are less. Do you realize, folks, how many things you and I do every single day that only have one thing at heart? What is best for me? That, by definition, is being self-centered. It's being selfish. And it's not an attribute that makes it easy. I think, I think a lot of us do rise above that, but it is an attribute ingrained in us that does not make it easy to love because that's doing what's good for somebody else, not for me. As a matter of fact, real love is doing what is good for somebody else, even if it's not good for me at all. We're selfish. That makes it hard. You know, another reason it's hard to do this, folks, is because we're not genuinely close to everybody here in the room. Matter of fact, we don't even like everybody here in the room. I mean, it's truth, isn't it? Said these these things aren't pretty, but they're real. That that's true of a small church. It's true of a big church. You walk into a room. I don't know everybody in here. I don't. I don't feel close. You know, when we hear that that phrase, "love one another," you're thinking, "Okay, gotta do that for my family. Gotta do that for my best Christian friends. We might pick out a few others." But well, you and I are not thinking when we walk in this room that that command applies to everybody in this room for everybody in this room. We're not thinking that way. You know, a third reason it's hard to love one another is because we're not raised in our culture to love one another. We are we are formed, we are fashioned in our culture to be fiercely independent. I don't have a problem with independence. I think there's some positive attributes in that. But we are we are raised to think about number one. We are raised to think the most significant thing in the United States of America is me and my rights. Now, you oppose that with other cultures where people are literally raised to be focused on the tribe, to be focused on the community. There are people in this world that are raised to believe that the whole is more significant. The whole is more important than just me, myself and I. We're not raised like that in America. And that makes it hard to love others. Now, you, you think about those three reasons. We, we've got a natural reason. We've got a functional reason. We've got a cultural reason that makes loving others very difficult. We might look at all these reasons and say, oh, well. Nobody's perfect. Can't do everything. Uh-uh. Not on this one, we can't do that. You see, this isn't an extracurricular command. If you have time, try this. If you get to level four, here's the command for you. No, folks, this is the bare minimum for every single one of us. You know, I think in our church, I think in our church we do enjoy a, a real good sense of family. A, a real good sense of connectedness i i experience that and feel that i hear others talking about that i hear people outside of our church saying you know i didn't expect that in such a large church man i praise god for that but i also recognize the reality is even if that is the case you know probably more people walk in this room and don't feel connected than do 
Probably more people walk in this room and don't feel any sense of responsibility for the people all around them than do. Now see, folks, that's not God's design. God's design is that when you and I enter this room that we do feel connected and we do feel a sense of responsibility, not just with the the people I chose to sit with on each side of me, but with everybody in the room. Let me show you how God explains this in Scripture. There's actually a a couple of different ways. I want to start in 1 Corinthians 12. If you want to turn there, you can uh, and read along with me. I'm going to read real quickly, though, and move on. So don't feel like you have to keep up. But I'm going to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. 1 Corinthians, right after Acts and Romans. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. It says, For as the body is one, And has many parts and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. That's saying whoever you are, whatever background you're from, we're all one now. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. Well, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the parts, each one of them in the body, Just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now, there are many parts, yet one body. There are many parts. There's many of us in here, but we are one body. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been placed into the body of Christ. And you will live out that truth in a particular local church that you choose to belong to. We are one body. We play many parts. We play many functions and roles. Every one of us has a role. Now you look at a body, you know, not all parts are visible like other parts. Not all parts maybe seem as important. But which part of your body do you want cut off? I'm guessing you won't call any part of your body that unimportant. No, I like all of them right where they are. Well, folks, that's why Paul's using this illustration. There's no way we look across this room and say, well, some parts are more important than others. No, every part plays a part. And if you're not playing your part. I'm not real active. Uh, -uh. if you're a follower of Christ, you've been placed by God into the body. And if you're not playing your part. Then you're not being what God created you to be. You're not doing what he saved you to do. And then you and I walk all over this green planet. And we wonder, why am I depressed? Why can I not find meaning? Why can I not find purpose? Why can't I make life work? And yet we're totally walking away. We're not at all engaged in what we were created to be saved to do. We were created. We were saved to be a part of a body. God uses another word in the New Testament besides body. He uses the word family. In John chapter 1, 
Verse 12, very simple verse, one I think probably a lot of us are familiar with. It says very simply, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become what? Children of God. Now, in our American individualistic way of thinking, we think, praise the Lord, I, me, I'm a child of God. And I think about how wonderful that feels and how good that feels and the blessings that come from that for me. But if I'm a child of God and you're a child of God, what does that make us? Brothers and sisters, we're family. And doesn't family, doesn't everybody in the family play a role? Doesn't everybody in the family have responsibilities? Listen to how Jesus talks about this family that we are in in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse uh, 46. Listen to this. Jesus is speaking. He says, he was still speaking to the crowds when suddenly his mother and brothers were outside standing wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But he replied to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, John describes the will of God is believing on the name of Jesus and becoming a child of God. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven, that person is my brother and sister and mother. Now here Jesus is opposing two different things. The biological, the physical family and the spiritual family. And he seems to be raising the spiritual family to a greater prominence. Listen to this than the biological, the physical family. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is doing there. Jesus is not negating the role and responsibilities we have to one another inside the home as a mate, as a parent, as a child. Gosh, the Bible gives us commands on how we're to act and relate in the home. Jesus is not negating those. But what he's doing is he's playing on what we all know. I know when I walk into the house, I have a role in this home as a as a husband, as a father. As I walk into this home, I have a responsibility. We all know that. Well, Jesus is saying it should be no different. As a matter of fact, it should be more so when you walk through that door. That you say, I have a role in this home. I have a responsibility in this home and I cannot avoid that. Or else I stand before God and have to answer for it. Now, the Bible goes into great detail about this role, this responsibility that we have with each other. As a matter of fact, I call this one anothering list. Jesus says you are to love one another. Well, what does that mean? Gosh, especially in our culture, we are so vague and and the term love is so broad. Well, folks, the Bible goes into great detail to show us what that love for one another looks like. You see it here on the list. And I forgot my list, so I'm going to look up here. Look at this. This is a one anothering list. Eleven times it says love one another. It says fellowship with one another. You know, I take that command so serious. We spend a whole lot of money out here in this concourse to make it feel like a home. 
to make it feel like a family room. Why? Because the Bible wants us to fellowship and we're awfully selfish and we're awfully busy and we're in a big hurry. So I just want to get out of here. No, we wanted to create a room that that drew people to stay and do what? Fellowship with one another. Greet one another. Three times it says that one time with a holy kiss. We're not going to explain that. Be humble. Be humble toward one another. Serve one another two times. Be hospitable toward one another. Confess your sins to one another. I'd rather go back and talk about kissing one another than confessing sins to one another. Don't complain. Oh my gosh. I thought that was my spiritual gift to complain about some people. Don't speak out against one another. Look at this. Encourage three times. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Seek after what is good for one another. Bear with one another. Folks, do you realize every single one of those is a command? Not extracurricular activity. It is a command of God on your life that you pick up every single one of those when you enter this room, when you enter this building, and you do this for one another. And as you can see, we're not halfway through the list. Build up one another two times. Comfort one another. Admonish. That means challenge. We're supposed to actually do that. When we're getting out of the boundaries, when we're getting out of the lines, we're supposed to admonish one another. Bear with one another. That means put up. Ew. Forgive one another twice. Don't lie to one another. Regard one another as more important. That must be more important than the other person next to me. Because you're not more important than me. Now that's exactly what it means, isn't it? Be subject. I submit. I yield. I've got needs. I entered this house today because I got needs. But I'm going to subject that. I'm going to yield the floor to that because I'd rather see your needs met. (laughs) Can you imagine if we were all actually doing that? Speak to one another with praises to God. Be kind to one another. We are members of one, members. We belong. We're connected to one another. Show tolerance. That's another one about putting up. Don't envy one another. Let's roll on. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine? Now, that's kind of sad, isn't it? God the Father sends His Son who dies on a cross so that you and I can become children of God. And then the Father has to look down at His children and say, don't bite and devour. Don't, you know what He's saying? You guys are acting like animals. You're devouring each other. No. Wait. That's a very simple thing. It's a command. We wait Remember that in the parking lot today. No lawsuits. No lawsuits against one another. Accept one another. Be of the same mind. Do you realize that's impossible? There is no way in the world 1,500 people are going to agree on what the color of the chairs should be. No way. It's not going to happen. Why? Because we have different opinions, different ideas, different backgrounds. We are not automatically going to be of the same mind. So how can God command that? See, folks, being of the same mind doesn't happen. We choose for it. I choose to work. How can I agree with you? Not how can I prove my point? Not how can I win? How can I agree? How can I get to where you are? How can we be of the same mind? Don't judge one another. And it wraps it all up with be devoted to one another. That's a lot, isn't it? 
And, and folks, every one of those commands is listed. You saw in several of them, I say 11 times, three times. All of those commands are listed multiple times throughout the New Testament. I just picked out the ones that actually use those two words, one another. This is what we are to be doing for one another. It's not something, folks, we, we bump into every now and then. We are to be aggressive. We are to be purposeful about it. We are to enter this room doing all of this for one another. This is what Jesus, it's that entire, what does it mean to love one another? All of those commands you just saw. And that's what Jesus wants people to see when they enter this room. And what they'll see is they'll see strong lives, strong Christians, strong families, strong churches that impact the world when we love one another. Now, I want to close real quickly and talk about how we do that here at Colonial Heights Baptist. We do this, folks, primarily through the Bible Fellowship class. You know, when you enter this large room, it is very easy to remain a spectator. And when I'm a spectator, that doesn't really engage me in feeling involved in an intimate community, in an intimate family. It's very easy to come in here and just sit. And it's okay that we have a big group. Man, the New Testament shows us groups much bigger than this that gather. For worshiping and celebrating, to be honest with you folks, I say the more the merrier. But we also have all this one anothering to do. And that's not really significantly going to happen is all we have is the big room. And that's why we push. That's why we drive. That's why we announce over and over and over and challenge you to get involved in a Bible fellowship class. Folks, Bible fellowship classes put you in an environment where you can. What's that word? Purposely. Purposely. You see, folks, you can walk in this room a few minutes before service and be talking to somebody and have the opportunity to encourage them. Maybe they have the opportunity to pray for you. You just obeyed those commands. You just loved one another. But folks, if we're depending upon that happening spontaneously, it's not going to happen very often. Why? Because we're selfish. Because we're busy. Because I'm focused on moving on to the next thing. You see, I've got to, on purpose, choose to put myself in an environment and Bible fellowship is that environment in this particular church. That is the smaller group where I can on purpose go into a place and be one anothered. Be the recipient of that one anothering. But I've also got to have a place where I can go and do all of that one anothering. Now, I hope I spontaneously bump into that throughout the week as I meet believers and, and throughout the weekend as we gather together. But folks, I don't want to accidentally obey God. I don't want to kind of spontaneously bump into obedience. Man, I want to choose obedience in my life. Don't you? I want to choose God's blessing because that's what obedience, obedience is. And this is why we promote and push Bible fellowship so much. Folks, I don't get any award if you go to Bible fellowship class the next hour. I, I don't get anything out of that. I say this sometimes to my kids. What do you think I get if you obey? I don't get anything. We don't promote this because we get something out of it. We promote this so we can follow Christ. And more importantly, so that when people walk into this building and they see all this one anothering going on, they say, oh, that's what it looks like 
to follow Jesus. You are a member of God's family, whether you want to be or not. And if you're a part of a family, you have a role to play. You have a responsibility to fulfill. And as we said last week, we are all going to stand before God for what people saw when they entered this building. I want them to see what it looks like to follow Christ. It's not easy. I bet it wasn't easy for Jesus to love us either. But he did. And he says, just as I loved you, and it wasn't easy. So you love each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I have to confess to you, I, I, don't, I don't think I always do a good job of loving the people I actually do love. I, I don't always do a good job, Lord, of, of fulfilling my roles and responsibilities with, with my own family and best friends. And God, I imagine I'm not alone in confessing that. And so, Lord, we also have to confess it's a little overwhelming when I see how well I don't do that over here to see all of these commands and they apply to everybody in this room. I, I'm supposed to do this for everybody. God, would you help me? Would you help us? God, when they come here, I, I, I want them to see what it looks like to follow you. Because we believe following you is the best thing in the whole world. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.